Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw a mostly higher day in the grains as well as a mixed day in livestock and a fairly thin, quiet, choppy holiday trade on Tuesday. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you with us here once again as we take a look at issues impacting rural America and take a look at the market trade as always here on the show. We're going to do just that coming up here in a little bit with Bill Biederman of agmarket.net is going to join us to discuss the trade action we're seeing again just this kind of holiday malaise you know we had a down day monday we pretty much got all of that back on tuesday in the grains with the soy complex soybeans leading to the upside we saw a mixed day in cattle with feeders finding a little bit of buying strength so uh, definitely a few things to talk about with bill coming up here on the show today we're also going to talk some risk management some year-end thoughts with bill and looking ahead to things uh, that are on his mind as traders head into 2023 what are some things that uh, producers need to be thinking about on the grain and livestock side as we enter a new year. So we're going to get into that conversation coming up here with Bill Biederman of agmarket.net in just a little bit. Uh, overall, though, again, as I mentioned, just a kind of a quiet day on the day on Tuesday with uh, some of that just pre-holiday trading, that real thin market action that we end up seeing around this time of year can lead to some volatility. You don't want to get caught up in the day-to-day moves, but we pretty much recovered everything we lost in soybeans on Monday uh, on Tuesday's trade, and we're kind of, again, testing that upper end of our range around that 1485, 1490 level in soybeans with some strength in products, meal, and oil on the day. Outside markets, relatively quiet on the session as well. Overall, just kind of a, a quiet, thin trading day. Not a lot of folks are in this market, and that can lead to some of the computers and algorithm trading to really have an effect. And that was uh, that was the same sentiment echoed by Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X, as we uh, have a conversation with him from earlier on the day Tuesday, starting that conversation, talking about the grain trade and some of just the thin technical trading that we saw. A lot of technical buying in here at the algos providing a little bit of support. We've got some uh, business on the price break on soybeans. Uh, soy oil providing a boost there as well as we see fund money coming back into the oil mill share uh, after seeing oil drop so hard earlier in the month. Um, on the corn and the wheat, we're pressing the upside of the and testing the top of the down trending channel that had been uh, really confining prices over the past couple of months. Some of that's related to just technical testing of the market. Some of it's related to pre-season, you know, seasonalities, 
factor. Some of it's related to the bitter cold temperatures dropping down across the plains in the Midwest. But the bottom line is we're going to have to finish the today strong or we could see this strength quickly wither away as we run up against some significant chart resistance here. Arlen, of course, South American weather a factor. We're kind of on that cusp of uh, maybe the last surge of La Nina. What's your thoughts as we watch the weather right now? Yeah, we're really expecting, uh, we're kind of in the last surge, we believe, of La Nina right now, and uh, we're expecting to see the transition in the atmosphere start to take place as we move into next month. Hopefully that'll result in some rains coming to Argentina then at some point. They're already getting some showers, it's just not enough. So we're going to see uh, smaller crops in Argentina. The question is how much smaller will they be and how much will the big crops in Brazil offset them at this point. Longer term as we look at this, it looks like uh, right now the models are suggesting uh, better than 50% odds that we're going to be in an El Nino weather pattern by the time we get to uh, our growing season in the Midwest this summer. That tends to be generally favorable um, not every year, but most years it tends to be favorable for corn and soybean uh, production in the United States. It also means that perhaps we can finally break the drought that we're seeing in the Plains winter wheat belt. Feeder cattle having a decent day on Tuesday with otherwise mixed activity in livestock. Any thoughts on the protein sector? We're getting a little bit of underlying support in here from the cold weather come in, but it's really unimpressive to this point. A little bit more strength yesterday in what we're seeing today, and I think that's largely because... Uh, the trade now sees a warm-up after this surge of cold air and thinks, okay, the livestock should be able to, it'll be inconvenient and uncomfortable, particularly for livestock handlers and livestock, but the the loss of gain shouldn't be too significant uh, with just a short uh, two- or three-day event, and so the trade kind of dismissing it at this hour. And again, that's Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X, talking to him around midday on Tuesday, just getting his thoughts uh, in the market trade and talking about some of that technical, quiet type of trade we saw, buying the break a little bit in soybeans. We did, of course, end up uh, finishing the day out strong there. So it'll be interesting to see if that momentum can hold into Wednesday or if we get some more of this back and forth type of trading in this market, which is uh, prone to happen as things are fairly quiet quiet and thin heading to the Christmas holiday season. The final two weeks of the year, traditionally just a very quiet time, not a lot of uh, traders in this market. So it's something to bear watching, but overall a decent day on Tuesday, maybe an opportunity to get some uh, positions on possibly uh, something you just might want to consider and look at. Let's take a look at some of the final numbers from the trade session on Tuesday as well before we head to the break here on the show. Again, the soy complex was the upside leader. Soybeans for January up 17 to three quarters, 1478 and a half. March beans up 16 and a quarter, 1479 and three quarters. Looking at new crop November soybeans as well, up seven and a half, 1388 and a half. Bean meal January up 330, it's on 45240. January bean oil was up 164.6605. March corn up four and three quarters, 652. July corn up three and a quarter, 646 and a quarter. December new crop corn up one, five. 96 and a quarter. Chicago wheat for March up to 750 and a half. 
July up a quarter penny, 762. March KC wheat up three and a half, 847. May up three and a quarter, 840 and three quarters. Spring wheat for March, that was up seven, 915 and a quarter. May up five and a quarter, 907 and three quarters. December live cattle down 22 at 155.05. February down 47, 155.57. And we saw April live cattle down 27, 159.65. January feeder cattle that were, they were up 152, 183.62. March up 122 at 185.02. And also feeder cattle for May up 72 at 191.70. In hogs, February down 145, 84.25. April down 82, 92.17. May hogs down 25 at 98.50. June hogs down 42 at 106.52. On the day we look over as well, just want to look at the cotton market, get an idea there. Snapshot cotton was up 376 points in March at 87.84, May up 334 points at 87.30. The dairy market was uh, mostly in the red, moderately lower on the day. And also uh, looking at canola and oats, uh, we saw oats up three and a quarter for March, 336 and a half, with canola up 440 at 857 in the January contract. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk markets. We're going to talk risk management. Bill Biederman, agmarket.net. He's our guest analyst. He joins us after the break. Back with more market talk of the way right after this. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. On Tuesday's trading session, we saw a pretty good day in the grains, recovering much of the losses we saw to start the week on Monday. A little more mixed activity in livestock, and the uh, outside markets were fairly quiet, but still plenty to discuss here today. Let's bring in Bill Biederman of agmarket.net. He is our guest analyst today. Pleased to have him back on the show. Bill, good to uh, catch up with you again, sir. Hope you're doing well. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, we're already trading Christmas holiday kind of volume, and uh, I think a lot of folks are going to take next week off. Yeah, I think you are exactly right, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's where my head was going to start at with Tuesday's action. You know, we saw some of that sell-off Monday, Tuesday come back in. We pretty much got it all back. I think that speaks volumes to just some of that low-volume holiday malaise type of trade where we can just get volatility uh, one way or another, but it's just kind of that quiet type of, of trade action, Bill. It really is. I mean, I think the general trend in corn anyway is down. Beans is more sideways, uh, just, you know, bumping the lower end and then bumping the upper end. Uh, you know, the, if, if you look at the big macro picture, I'd have to say that the trend for most markets are going to be steady to lower as we deflate. But then you look at the micro pictures of like, you know, what Japan did today with their fiscal policy or, the weather forecast, uh, which was a big driver in today's uh, market, and those little changes, and uh, you know the market just like you say, it just reverses everything it did the previous day, and it chops people up a lot. I mean, you can lose fifteen, twenty cents in a market that's trading six. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's very true, and I think that that speaks as well to not getting caught up in the day-to-day -day moves, especially during this holiday time frame. Cause this last two weeks of the year, we could see some of this volatility, but it, it's just so 
so thin and quiet and you know choppy just the the malaise that's that's my favorite word this time of year bill it's just it's it's hard not to but you don't want to get caught up in some of this day-to-day movement bill yeah when you see uh, a potential position that you really expect is going to work you know you also look at your year-end financials and you go well i I don't want to mess that up i don't want to goof up my my tax planning so i'm just not going to do anything until the first of the year so we could come in at that beginning of next year, if there's some fundamentals that haven't really been fully evaluated at at that point, we could see a pretty volatile day. Definitely could. You mentioned you you think the overall trend in corn is lower, and I know corn and weed have kind of been working together the last few weeks. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about that? What are you seeing on charts and what leads you to think that corn is more trending to the downside here as we near the end of the year? Well, yeah. So, you know, of course, the high was put in in October. Then we retested that at the end of the at the end of the month, up around that 704 area. And then and then in in November, we we went up into the 675, 677 area, and we failed there. And then this month, we went up, and the highs were about 660. So each month, it seems like the highs are lower, and the lows are lower than the previous month. So we are trending down a little bit. At the same time, in the big picture, you go all the way back to last spring's low to this uh, October high. You know, we're we're not even quite 50% down to a retracement level. We did come down and fill that gap that we had left on the way up in August uh, when we had some weather issues. Um, and the downside, you know, even though we're trending down, the downside potential of this market are really limited. Jesse, we're down to a 31-day supply of corn, an 18-day supply in, in soybeans. It's not like we're going to let the bottom of this market fall apart. That's not even going to be a possibility, regardless of what kind of financial policies our government or our central banks have. The downside of these markets can't really get into full play until we know that the supply situation is getting more comfortable and right now it's uncomfortably tight do you think i mentioned the thought that corn and wheat have kind of been working together do you think they continue to work together or is wheat maybe going to diverge itself from corn because it looks like wheat's maybe found some support here recently bill well that's because of what you just said the price of corn and wheat have been going down wheat leading the way of course and the wheat has gotten so cheap that just within the last two weeks, we've seen a couple of cattle feeders in Kansas actually buy food grade wheat to feed the cattle. So you're, you're reaching feed value. And so you're going to, you know, as long as the corn market's not falling apart, wheat's not going to fall apart anymore at these levels. Wheat did, though, get to these levels because it had to be competitive with what Russia was doing. And Russia was doing the blue light special because they need money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're even though they're stealing a lot of grain and it's free to them, uh, they're still selling it at a very cheap price. How about this soybean market? Uh, you know, looking at this kind of bouncing off some of these support levels above and below and beans, meal and oil and you know, had their days and really finding support Tuesday underneath the soybean market. But if you look at the soy complex as a whole, you look at charts, Bill, what stands out to you here? Are we going to be able to kind of hold up near these resistance levels around this 1485, 1490 mark? Well, you know, the trend in the, in the, in the beans has been up ever since October. It's just the opposite of corn. We've been making higher highs and higher lows. Uh, we're pushing up against that $15, which is a critical, critical point. 
it looks to me, Jesse, like the market will eventually push through that because it keeps coming up closer to that. And, and the highs have been flat. So that's a both, you know, bull triangular flag. So usually you'll end up going in that same direction. What will fundamentally push it, though, is going to be some some concerns about South American production, both in corn and in beans. If the total South American production is anywhere near last year, we don't see a large increase in production like the USDA is, is currently forecasting. We are not going to see a supply resolution towards a more comfortable level. And uh, if, if it gets down to last year's production levels or less, you're really forcing buyers then to shift their purchases to the U.S., in which case they're going to be competing with our domestic users going after a very limited supply and the markets would really take off. So it could be very explosive if we see that South American crop not come through um, in good shape. And, and today's forecast really was for 0.35 to one and a half inches in the next seven mm -hmm. days in central and northern Argentina, but southern Argentina just to remain dry. And the fact is an inch and a half isn't a drought breaker. Whereas yesterday they were calling for more rain, that little bit of a change in the forecast caused a 20 cent opening on the beans. That's how that's how close in tightness we are to to supply. Well, now on your thought too, I've heard some folks mention with South American weather, you know, if Brazil ends up growing a massive record crop, corn and beans, and Argentina has problems, some people have said, well, Brazil will offset Argentina and all will equal out. Uh, what are your thoughts to that argument that I've heard from a few folks, Bill? Okay, well, I, I actually looked up those numbers today. So right now, if you look at where some analysts are calling for the crop size in Argentina uh, to be as, as low as 47 million metric tons in, in corn versus the 55 million metric ton that the government, uh, that the USDA is projecting. I mean, that's a huge revision if, the, if USDA is missing it by that much. Um, but using those numbers of 47 plus the Brazilian crop, uh, they're coming up with 172 million metric tons. Last year was 167.6. We can't go below that. If we go below that, you're talking a major, major supply problem. Um, so those are the numbers that you really got to keep in mind. We, basically, 170 million metric tons combined production in South America. That's what we need. Definitely good thoughts to ponder there. That is Bill Biederman with agmarket.net. We're having a conversation with him here today. Bill, I'm going to have you hold uh, coming up here uh, after the break. I want to talk more risk management strategy with you as we think about heading into 2023, wrapping up the final uh, couple of weeks of the year here. So we're going to have you stick around. We're going to talk more about that coming up here in just a minute. Again, want to recap uh, some of the closing numbers from the day on Tuesday. Much of uh, the soybean complex recovered what we lost Monday. Monday, January beans up 17 to three quarters, 1478 and a half. July beans up 15, 1485 and a half on Tuesday. Bean meal for January up 330, it's on 452.40. March up 320, it's on 449.30. Bean oil, January up 164.6605. March bean oil up 140.6481. Uh, looking at corn, March up four and three quarters, 652. July quart up three and a quarter, 646 and a quarter. December quart up one, 596 and a quarter. Chicago wheat, March up two, 750 and a half. July was up a quarter penny at 762 on the day. We saw as well looking at uh, 
Kansas City wheat March was up three and a half, eight forty-seven. July up three, eight thirty-four. Spring wheat March up six and a quarter, nine fourteen and a half. July up five and a half, nine oh five and a quarter. In the livestock market, feeder cattle had a strong day. January up one fifty-two, one eighty-three sixty-two. March up one twenty-two, one eighty-five oh two. Live cattle December down twenty-two, one fifty-five oh five. February down forty-seven, one fifty-five fifty-seven. And in hogs, February down one forty-five, eighty-four twenty-five. April down eighty-two. 92.17. We'll continue our conversation up next with Bill Biederman of agmarket.net. Back with more Market Talk right after this. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Bill Biederman, agmarket.net, is our guest here today. Bill, let's uh, talk a little more broader scale as we wrap up the year and, and head into 2023. What is on your mind, marketing strategy, risk management-wise, what do producers need to think about here as we wrap up the year and, and look ahead to 2023? And I know this can encompass old crop sales, new crop sales as well, if they're looking at that. What are some thoughts on your mind that that folks need to really think about here as we get ready to start a new year? Yeah, I think that they need to uh, um, up up the concern levels that we all have. I mean, for the last two years, we basically planted and we profited, right? I mean, it was pretty hard to lose money in the last two years. But this year going into 23 is a little different because we do have increasing input costs. But against that, we have a deflationary fiscal policy. And that's usually what steers the vessel is fiscal policy. So if that policy is successful and causes commodity prices to move lower, um, <clears throat> then we're gonna be faced with farming at a higher input price with a lower trend. And that's been very difficult. Now you can go back into history and you look up the 1973 period, uh, followed by 1974 when we had an early frost and we had a bad crop. We had inflation going into those years. We had Russia was the big new buyer. And then we had a fiscal policy change towards, uh oh, we've got inflation. We had the same thing kind of in 88, 89, when we had a supply disruption of the 88 drought, followed by uh, a negative economic tone. And now we're in the same thing. You know, instead of Russia being the big buyer, it, in the last two years, we saw China as the new big buyer. We had the inflation. Now we're having the fiscal policy. Well, all of that to say, in 1975, and in 1989, following the bullish setup, it was disastrous for producers. So my advice is to look at history, don't make the same mistake twice, or don't make the same mistake that maybe your dad or grandpa did, and get yourself hedged off. Sell, you know, take the inputs divided by your production and sell those number of bushels at these amazing values. And uh, you know, we're looking at it with an option we can lock in a floor under half the crop. All of the inputs are pretty well covered. 
and the other half of the crop's totally open, but the crop that we used an option on, that's totally open if the market goes up, at least for about a dollar, and then we have a ceiling price. But if it goes down, we're protected, unlimited protection. So it's just a really, I don't know, comfortable way to mm -hmm. go through a year where we could see a transition from plant and profit to uh, plant and maybe worry if you don't mm -hmm. have a protection. Well, and this, you, you you may have answered my question already, but I'll reframe this up as well. You know, you mentioned looking back at history, and I was going to say, you know, rather than what did we learn in 2022 when it comes to marketing, what should we have learned when looking back at everything that happened here this past year? And I think you kind of mentioned some of the things there, but I'll, I'll let you answer that if you have a different thought. What should farmers have taken away from this year and just the, the volatility and everything that's been there, Bill? I think one of the key things that I have consistently heard you say, as well as some of your colleagues in the industry as, as good, uh, responsible ag media people, what is you've emphasized that word flexibility in your marketing plan. And I believe that that is in these volatile markets. I mean, it, let's just say you sold these beans at 15 bucks. You're, you're getting a return on investment that you probably have never had in your whole life. But if they go to 18 or 19 or 20 or 30 or $40, you know, who knows, right? Mm -hmm. You would be sick if you missed out on that. So, I mean, to spend the 20 or 40 cents that it takes when you're selling $15 beans to put on some kind of a position that will protect you in case things go crazy, I mean, it's just kind of a no-brainer. And, and that flexibility is what we have really learned in the last couple of years. And the producers that have done that have been very comfortable and they understand it. And they're going to do that and maybe already have done it for maybe half their crop already in 23. Whereas the people that didn't listen to that or were afraid to step into that arena and go, well, I, don't, I don't want to spend 20 cents on an option. Those people, they don't get it yet. And unfortunately, if they aren't managing their risk in 23 in an, a lucky way, uh, they could be like I was in 1989. Every week I'd come into the market going, okay, well, we should have a 10 cent rally this week and I'll be able to get some stuff sold. And every single week in 89, that market just seemed to go down about four or five cents. And it was just wearing from, from January all the way to harvest. Well, and with that too, not just grains, but livestock producers, whether we're talking cattle or hogs, especially cattle. I know you mentioned the uh, guy in Kansas you know, feeding wheat and some of those feed margins coming more in line. And I know a lot of folks are bulled up with this cattle market bill, but uh, you know, getting some protections in place there, but leaving your top side open, just managing that risk. It's so important, whether you're a grain producer or a livestock producer, Bill. That's right. You can buy a floor of like $150, $152 floor, and you don't have to worry about this thing if the economy really collapses. Or, you know, what's the biggest risk out there? A, that fiscal policy works, right, and our economy slows down. But B, something like that was not expected, like China was managing their economy with COVID restrictions, but they didn't expect all that social unrest. So now they opened up the door and what's going to happen if there's just massive COVID problems, I mean, whether it's death or whether it's just voluntarily shutting down the economy, we don't know, but that contagion of health risk could be a very large contagion economic risk to our marketplace where we buy and sell with them. 
supply chains, if they don't get back to normal, uh, well, that would definitely cause a problem. Mm-hmm. If that happened, we wouldn't get our supply chains back to normal. So everything could be affected by that. And that, of course, is unexpected. That could, you know, something like that could make the fiscal policy that our government is doing be magnified 10 times over. And so the negative deflationary impact could be even bigger. We still know. So why take that risk when for, you know, a dollar you could lock in a buck 52 floor? That kind of thing. I, I just think that this is a common sense kind of a market. You don't want to overthink it. Uh, you want to be in the market in a flexible way. Single biggest item you're maybe watching concerned about as we start a new calendar year. And maybe it's, you know, you've mentioned a bunch of these. Is it inflation, deflation? Is it China demand concerns? Is it South America weather and production? Is it D all of the above? Is it logistics? I mean, is there anything you could point to that is standing out more so than another thing that you're really keeping a close eye on as we flip the calendar to 23? Well, I think the the question will be what, what is going to be the surprise? Is the surprise social unrest? So now we have to change policy. I think the policies that the Western and developed nations have, have embraced is fiscal mm-hmm. uh, restraint and deflationary type. Let's get inflation under control uh, policies. And that's going to steer the vessel. I mean, that, that sets the vessel in the direction they want it. Uh, the only thing that will derail that is you know, a tsunami or a massive unexpected storm that's going to push the vessel in a different direction. That storm could be what's happening in China. So be on the watch for that. The other thing that we can't control that can be a major supply uh, uh, surprise is weather. And if this weather doesn't allow us to see two good production cycles, i.e. South America and then North America's production cycle, replenish the supply chain of, of grains and oil seeds, that could derail a deflationary outlook too. So those are the two big things I'm watching right now going into the first quarter, but I definitely think a person should sit down, look at their input costs, figure out what their potential yield would be against that, what their break even is on those bushels, and get some of that locked off and, and spread off. Well, Bill, great thoughts as always. Uh, before we let you go, I know if producers have questions, they want to work with you and the agmarket.net team, I know they can reach out to you very easily. They're online giving you a phone call. And, of course, you guys have a great uh, conference coming up in Nashville in February that I know I'm looking forward to, uh, looking forward to attending as well. So you can talk about that a little bit, Bill. Yeah, we're really looking forward to that. We're going to have some phenomenal people to, to learn from. David Hightower is probably the most renowned ag economist. He's traveling almost every country there is in the world and uh, and consulted with them. So him, we're going to have the president of JSA, who's an ex-cash ADM trader, uh, our own staff, Matt Bennett, Brian Split, Jim McCormick, uh, just a huge lineup. Drew Lerner, I've known him for 43 years in the industry, one of the best weather meteorologists there are. There's, there's quite a few, but he is at the top, in my opinion. He's going to be speaking we're really looking forward to a great conference. We're almost sold out. Uh, uh, our, our cheap room rate is is just, we only got a couple of beds left and then it's going to go <laughs> to the normal rate. So if you want to go take a look at it, it's on our website at agmarket.net. And of course, you can find their contact info there as well, agmarket.net. A lot of great tools to help producers with that. Bill Biederman, appreciate the time, sir. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year once again. And we will talk to you in 23. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Jesse. 
Always enjoy the conversation. Again, Bill Biederman there with agmarket.net. And again, you can learn more agmarket.net. Find uh, a lot of different ways to contact them. Check out some of the different things they offer. Really a great team there uh, at agmarket.net. And of course, you can, again, learn more about their Farming for Profit, not Price, winter meeting in Nashville coming up February 5th and 6th. And looking forward to that. I know I'm going to be attending and uh, look forward to maybe meeting you there as well if you happen to make the trip. Coming up here next, before we wrap up the show today, I'm going to go back to the NAFB convention, the National Association of Farm Broadcasting in Kansas City. I was there about a month ago. Had a conversation with Greg Haynes of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. We're going to listen back to that interview and wrap up the show with a few news headlines. That's coming up after the break. Back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here. Well, last month I was at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City, Missouri, talking to so many folks throughout the agriculture industry and had a chance to sit down with Greg Haynes, the CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. And Greg is a, a great uh, great guy to talk to. I always enjoy my conversations with him. And we had a good one here just kind of talking about what's going on with the Cattlemen's Beef Board as we wrap up 2022. Let's listen back to the that interview here with Greg Haynes of the Cattlemen's Beef Board from the NAFB convention last month in Kansas City. And joining us now here during the NAFB convention in Kansas City, Greg Haynes, CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Greg, good to catch up with you again, sir. How are you? Hey, Jesse, I'm doing good. Great to see you here. Yeah, great to see you as well. Thanks for the time. Let's uh, let's just talk a little bit, uh, I think for starters, um, refresh folks uh, on just kind of the beef checkoff, an overview, some of the latest, uh, anything new and exciting uh, with the checkoff. Why don't we start there, Greg? Okay. Yeah, if we go back to, you know, the very basics, you know, the checkoff has been around since 1986, basically. Basically, it's part of the 85 Farm Bill, but anytime uh, you know an animal, a cow is sold, basically a dollar is collected, half stays in the state where it's collected, so that they can do uh, kind of on the you know on the ground programs. Uh, the other 50 cents comes up on the national side, and so that's done uh, to do research, marketing, mm-hmm. and promotion. You get and um, kind of get efficiencies from a national level, and then that can be shared with the states and other agencies. So really the goal of the checkoff is just to build demand for beef out there. Definitely. Definitely. Well, and obviously building that demand for beef, uh, and just looking at all the different aspects that go into that, uh, you guys do a lot of great work, a lot of great research. Um, and you guys do things like strategic planning. Um, I know that is something uh, new as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. No, um, you know, as far as just kind of getting out there, building that demand requires a lot of different areas. We work with research, uh, promotion, consumer information, industry mm-hmm. information, foreign marketing, all of that. But with so much going on, there's kind of two key strategic areas we look at. One is a, a beef industry long range plan. So we yeah. get a committee together, kind of representing all sectors of the industry. We put together then what we call the long range plan. And so this really identifies the key areas that we think are gonna be occurring over the next five years that we need to look at and really focus resources on. And so those then become kind of the core for all of the uh, committees that we have, producer-led committees that are reviewing the programs and and giving feedback to those contractors to make sure we're achieving those kind of goals. And then also this year, for the first time, we actually got together a a strategic plan for CBB. And that I'm pretty excited about because, you know, 
as an organization, I think that uh, is very important to really kind of clarify and set the goals for the organization as it's, as you know an entity among itself. So some of the things there I think we're really focusing on again are just how can we be more and more efficient with those checkoff dollars? You know, we have very limited resources, so we need to make sure that we're getting the biggest bang for our buck. And then how do we ensure that materials, information, everything that's generated by the checkoff is really shared among everyone out there. You know, these are industry resources mm -hmm. and so we want to make sure that the industry can fully leverage um, you know, all the great information, research, materials, and everything that are generated by the checkoff. Greg, as uh, you guys look at your planning, et cetera, and, and you think about things, what, what in your mind is maybe the biggest challenge facing the beef industry here as we wrap up the year and head to next year? Right, I guess, yeah, you know, the biggest challenge, obviously, maybe not so related to the checkoff, but, you know, the drought has been huge. That's really, you know, impacted everyone. We're hoping that that's going to wrap up, you know, by next year. Um, but then that kind of leads to a challenge for us with the mm -hmm. with the drought and liquidation of the herd. That has, in a way, been good for the checkoff because the checkoff dollars have been very steady coming in. But now as we go into that rebuilding phase, which will probably start next year, then obviously you see a lot less of those checkoff dollars coming in as, as cattle are held back. So that's the challenge then is like, how can we keep those programs going? You know, building that demand for the product then when we have fewer dollars to try and do that. So for us, that's probably one of the, the bigger challenges we have coming up over the next year or two. Fantastic. Well, Greg, I know folks can stay on top of news from the checkoff and, and learn more and stay up to date online and, and contacting uh, representatives with uh, the Catalyst Beef Board checkoff as well. It, it's very easy to do all that, isn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, we want to be as transparent, as, ac as accessible as possible. You know, we have 101 board members there from all over the country. You can go on our website. You can find out, you know, who are the representatives from your state. You can mm -hmm. reach out to them, contact them. You, know, you can always contact us at the office, you know, going to the website beefboard.org. Uh, you can get all the information you need on, you know, talking to us about yeah. how the checkoff works, everything. Definitely. With that, CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board, Greg Haynes, thanks for the time. Appreciate right. it. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. Well, again, that was Greg Haynes with the Cattlemen's Beef Board from the NAFB convention in Kansas City, Missouri here last month. And always uh, a great time there in KC. It was great to catch up with Greg during that event and talk a little bit uh, about some things going on with CBB. One other news item I wanted to share here on the show today before we wrap it up for this edition of the program. We, of course, are always keeping an eye on different stories coming out from universities. Well, Iowa State University has a new report out from their Center for Agricultural and Rural Development that summarizes five years of data on Iowa farmers' use of cover crops, a survey was administered to farmers who visited local conservation field offices and received technical assistance related to cover crops. The more than 3,000 responses shed light on Iowa farmers' rationale and motivations to use cover crops, the timing of planting and termination, the types and extent of varieties used, and farmers' preferred information sources. The most prevalent types of operations using cover crops were farms producing row crops and cattle and farms producing row crops but no livestock. Most responded seed to cover crops on erodible land and only on a portion of their fields. The state of motivations to use cover crops reported by at least two-thirds of the respondents include preventing soil erosion, building soil organic matter, improving soil health, and improving and protecting water quality. Again, that's a cover crop report from Iowa State University Center for Agricultural and Rural Development. 
Well, coming up here on the program tomorrow, we're going to talk markets with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, and we'll also continue to watch issues impacting rural America. That's going to do it for Market Talk here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you and yours a great rest of your day. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com.